0: When we left off with Elijah last week, he was in the caves and the crags of Cherith, waiting. We talked about this experience of waiting. We talked about this idea that God will sometimes use waiting to hone us, to create in us his kind of spirit, to stretch us in ways that we may not have been stretched had we not been in a place of waiting. In short, we found that God creates waiting sometimes to create in us the heart of patience that God himself has. We are much more hurried oftentimes than God is. And so waiting can be a blessing in fact, for Elijah, waiting was a kind of protection because Ahab was hunting for him because he had just told Ahab that there would be no rain until he, that is Elijah, said so. You know that as soon as the drought began, we know from the next chapter that Ahab started looking for Elijah. So him being in the crags and the, the, the uh, outlands of Cherith was a kind of protection. And if you're waiting on something, it could be a kind of protection for you as well. A very beautiful kind of caring that God is showing you. For Elijah, he's in the crags of Cherith for probably a full year, being fed twice a day by ravens and drinking from the brook until that brook runs dry. And it's not until that brook runs dry till Elijah hears the next word of what to do. And that instruction comes in verse 8 of 1 Kings 17. So if you want to find 1 Kings 17, verse 8, it's also on the screen. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink, and as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. We have very little information about what Elijah is thinking through this whole time. And maybe that's a testament to Elijah's just complete willingness to obey. When God said, leave Cherith and go to Zarephath, it says that Elijah left Cherith and went to Zarephath. But he's not a robot. He must have had thoughts. He must have been wrestling with the reality of what God was telling him to do. And I'm wondering if he was sitting in Cherith waiting to think, thinking that his next call would be back to Ahab. I mean, the drought is obviously happening. He's obviously sort of won the battle. So part of me expects that Elijah was expecting to be called back to Ahab. But he wasn't. He was called to Zarephath. I don't know what Elijah was thinking, but I can guarantee he was not expecting to be called to Zarephath. There's a couple reasons for this. First, if you look at the map on the screen behind me, we'll do a little geography this morning. Elijah was in, from Gilead and in Gilead. So when he was hiding in chariot, it would have been over here somewhere um, east of the Jordan. Uh, is Samaria on here? Samaria. So he would have seen Ahab here. He, grew, he, he lived here, saw Ahab here, and went back to the mountains here. And it was from here that God said, go to Zarephath. Do you see Zarephath? Anyone see Zarephath? Yes, pointing. Very good. It's north. To get from where he is around up to Zarephath, he has to travel mostly through Israel, which is where Ahab is hunting for him. Which means this 100-mile journey, which would have taken four or five days, would have probably had to have been done at night, skipping major cities, sort of doing it on the DL, because Ahab was after him. This does not seem to be the kind of route you would expect Elijah to be called to cross through Israel to go to Zarephath it would not have been easy to get to. But not only that, notice that he is crossing Israel, but he will actually go outside of Israel when he makes it to Zarephath. And not just anywhere outside of Israel, Zarephath and that area would have been the hotbed of Baal worship. Not even just the hotbed, it would have been, well, let's look. Look back in the chapter before in 1 Kings 16. Verse 31, this tells us a little bit about Ahab, about the fact that he had become a Baal worshiper, primarily because of the influence of his wife Jezebel. And as if it had, not, as at, and as if it had been a light thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabot, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of who? Ethbaal. The father is named after Baal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Go back to that map again. Does anyone see Sidon? It's right there next to Zarephath. Ahab's looking for you, Elijah. Jezebel would like to take your life, Elijah. So here's where I'm going to send you. Sidon to the hotbed of Baal worship. The heart of spiritual enemy territory. We perhaps begin to see why Elijah was honed and discipled and cared for and strengthened and has, had his rough edges removed during this si- isolation in Cherith. As I said, there's no... Evidence of how Elijah reacted to this. He just went. But I can't imagine that there wasn't some point where Elijah went, um, did I did I get that right? Zarephath? Can you can you spell that for me? Because I feel like that's an unusual place for you to send me. Now I don't think he needed a lot of convincing to depart Cherith, but to go to Zarephath? I think, too, likewise, we've all experienced times in our lives where we have asked God to change something for us. We've been waiting for some kind of movement in our lives. And then the movement is brought to us. God invites us into the next step, and we go, whoa, that's not, <laughs> that's not really the way I had mapped it out. You're asking me to go to Zarephath, and that's not quite on my triptych, not quite on my map to go to Zarephath. But what we find with Elijah is that being in Cherith and being in Zarephath were important, and I think this is the reason. Sometimes God wants us to be in a certain place in order for him to do his work either in us or through us. God wants us to be in a certain place, and I mean a physical, literal place, because in that place, God has something to do in us or through us. Place is important. Where you live is important. Where you work is important. Where you work out, where you worship, where you vacation, place is important. You are called to places. We are physical beings. We're more than physical beings, but we're not less. You are always in a place. You understand this, right? You are somewhere all the time. I'm getting real metaphysical now. You're always somewhere. And when you're there, you're not somewhere else. Because we are people of a place. Place is important. Your cherith places of honing are important and your zarephath places, places you never thought you would be, are important. Place is important. I think we've all experienced that, um, let's say you're at a dinner You have a bunch of friends sitting around, you're kind of joking and telling stories, and you go, oh, I got this. You will not believe what happened the other day, and you start telling the story. It's so funny that you can't hardly get the story out, and you're telling all the details, and you keep laughing, and you keep telling this great story, and you look around the table, and everybody's kind of just looking at you, kind of like with polite smiles, and you're like, you have that awkward moment, and then you say, oh, well, I guess you had to be there. Because being there matters. Sometimes God calls you and says, For me to work in you, you just have to be there. I can't do what I want to do in you where you are. You must be there. I think the text supports this in the way that it's written. If you look at verse 9 and 10... There's an unusually large amount of convincing that he needs to be there. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there. There. I think it's just so clear to me that God's saying, I can't do this for you, Elijah, if you don't go there. You can't hang out in Cherith. You can't go somewhere halfway in between. You can't go where you want to go. For me to work the way I want to work, you must go there. But there's more to this. There's another way that we all use the word there. I hear it from students when I ask them, I'll say, especially for their, some of them for their college essay or for um, some personal essay they're writing, I'll say, well, what, talk, what makes a good friend? Talk about one of your good friends and, and why they're a good friend. And inevitably, they will say, she's a good friend because she's always there for me. And I in my little snarkiness go, where? She's always there, where is she? And the, the, the students are like, well, there, you know, just... There for me. And we all know what that means, right? We've all seen Friends. We've all seen the theme song, I'll be there for you. There. What we mean is that you will be present, fully there, in a a more emotional and invested sort of way. When we say, oh, my friend's always there for me, we don't mean he lives with you. You mean that when I need that person, he or she is present in my life in some significant way, fully present. We can do the opposite of this too. You can be here, but you might not be here, right? You can be physically present, but you might not be fully emotionally, mentally, or spiritually present. You're there, but you're not there. You probably have heard the expression, showing up is half the battle, you heard that? Showing up is half the battle. I believe that. I believe that showing up is half the battle. Some mornings, you're getting up for work. You're like, if I can just show up, that's half the battle. But, of course, what's the other half? The other half is being fully there. Not just physically there, but being there in spirit and in emotion and in your investment. That you're there fully Well, you may ask, why bother with such a thing? Isn't half the battle enough? Well, I think the text gives us a couple reasons for why we should push to be fully present in the places God sends us or places us or puts us. The first is that being fully present shows our understanding of God's faithfulness in our lives. It shows us that God has been faithful and will continue to do so. When we are fully present, I'll say it this way. When we are fully present, we show that we trust God. When God says, go be fully present at Zarephath, and we do so, we show that we're trusting that God is caring and leading us. We're building on past trust and past faithfulness of God. I want to put up a couple phrases from this text closer to the original Hebrew. Here's one. I have commanded a widow woman there to provide for you. This is the encouragement that God gives him for going to Zarephath. You can imagine Elijah thinking, that's a long way through through enemy territory into even worse enemy territory. Is it really possible, God, that you would care for me? Is it really possible that there's a widow waiting for me hundreds of miles away? Can I trust you in this, God? And I think this very statement here is the indication from God that God can be trusted because he's heard, Elijah's heard this before. When it came to Cherith, God said, I have commanded the ravens there to provide for you. Exact phrase, swap out widow for raven. And how had the ravens provided for him? Thinking that, we think that Elijah was in Cherith for more than a year. The ravens came twice a day. We're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of visits from the ravens. A hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of reminders that God can be trusted. And your life has these reminders too. They may be hard to dig out sometimes. It may be hard to remember sometimes. But I encourage you, if God is asking you to take a step towards Zarephath, a place you did not think you were going to go, that you look back and you say, where has God shown his faithfulness in the past? What have been the little ravens in my life that allow me to go find the widow? When we go and fully engage in the place God has sent us, we show our trust in God. And secondly, when we're fully present where God has placed us, we produce good for others. Look at 12 through 16. So Elijah had just asked the widow for some bread. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah." The woman was in a desperate situation, as you can see, had the smallest spark of faith, the smallest spark, and it it appears that Elijah was able to sort of fan that that faith into embers and into a flame because of his presence with her. She ends up with a never-ending amount of food that sustains her and her son. What would have happened had Elijah not gone there? You see, it was Elijah's presence that brought good to her life. Without it, the widow would have died. Without Elijah's presence, she would not have experienced the full goodness of God in her life. I can't overemphasize as a community who gather on a Sunday, but spread out into the community and into the world the rest of the week, I cannot overemphasize the fact, listen to this, your presence in people's lives brings goodness to them that they would not have without you. Do you hear me? Your very presence in these people's lives bring goodness to them because you have Christ in you. And they would not have that goodness if it were not for your presence there. And so as you deal with what you deal with in your neighborhoods, and as you deal with what you deal with in your extended families and at your work, I encourage you to remember, you have been sent there. And when you are fully present there, you bring God's goodness into their lives in ways that you may never have predicted. In the same way that Elijah brought goodness into the life of this widow in a way he never would have predicted. So I encourage you go to the places where God has sent you, and God has called you, and God has placed you. Be fully there. And in doing so, you'll develop your trust, but you'll also bring perhaps eternal goodness to the lives of those around you. And so we approached the table. No oil, no flour, simply bread and some juice. But they do represent for us the body and the blood of Christ. And the body and blood of Christ is eternally sustaining. It is in a jug that never empties and a jar that is never depleted. The power of God's salvation is renewed in us. Just like I imagine, we don't know the details of how these jars were renewed, but I imagine each morning they went down to the cooking area, and the flour and the jar was full of, and the jar were full again. And the next morning they were full again, and they were full again. And it reminds me of the psalmist when he says, "Each morning I awake renewed by the love of God." Every morning, every day, is an opportunity to believe again, to renew our hearts again, to recommit ourselves again to living fully in Christ and fully into the lives of others. And so today, as we take the bread and the cup, I encourage you to think of it as a time of refreshing, a time of renewal, a time of taking a little taste of an eternal resource. So if you are a Christian, we fully invite you to engage and take uh, part with this this act with us. If you are not, just let the uh, elements pass and use this time to think and pray about what God has for you in your life. So let's pray together, and the worship team will come forward, and we will have a few minutes where we can concentrate on the Lord's Supper. Lord, thank you so much that you are trustworthy, that you call us to a certain place. You call us to our work. You call us to our families. You call us to our neighborhoods. You ask us to be in that place to build our trust in you and to be goodness in other people's lives, to bring your goodness to their lives. So, Lord, I pray that even as we take this symbolic, um, these symbolic elements that remind us of your eternal blessing, that we would feel your Holy Spirit renew and refresh us to serve you fully in the places you have called us.